You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Many of you probably know and have heard of Emily and I renovating our home. It has been a very long ordeal, which some of you have been privy to, have walked on uh, unfinished floors and been in our kitchen, and it's been, it's been a nightmare. Well, yesterday, we got countertops put in. Probably this week, we're going to have a dishwasher again that aren't these two hands. Um, we're going to have a sink that's bigger than like a basketball. Um, it is going to be glorious. But <clears throat> this, this is so fresh that I'm like happy to share it, but there's still so much like brokenness in it and in my heart that I'm like so, it's like shameful even. To, I'm like embarrassed to share it. So, but it's important because it is a good example of what we're going to talk about this morning. We're putting countertops in and it is like, one of the most important things that you do, right? Like, it's not like you can just go buy another piece of wood at Home Depot. Like, this are $1,000 slabs of, of granite. And um, so Titus had soccer yesterday. Emily had a wedding. We were running all over the place. We scheduled it for yesterday. I don't know why, but it was like, yeah, we'll be fine. Um, they were running late. I was running late. So I'm like waiting for them. They come in. I give them some instructions. The guy who did all the measurements wasn't there, but Emily had kind of dialed that guy in. So I'm like dialing this other crew in, but also trying to rush out the door to get Titus a soccer. Um, Then my friend, who's like the GC who got us this crew, texts me, hey, what's going on at this like part of the countertop? Is there going to be like an edge or what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's there's a panel there. So, yeah, there's, like, no edge. It's just a straight cut, whatever. Soccer goes on. Um, then there's this other part that I'm like, I don't remember what goes there. So I'm texting Emily in the middle of her wedding. And my, my wife does wedding hair, for those of you who don't know. So she's doing hair and getting texts from me. Hey, what goes on in this? I don't remember. And then she's like, wait, you mean this wall? And I'm like, oh, no, but what about that wall too? And she's like, yeah, that's supposed to have an edge. I'm like, oh, crap. I didn't say crap. I promise. I said something worse. I was like, I think I told them to cut that part. And so then I like call our GC real quick. He's like, I'll call the guys. He calls them. Yeah, they already cut it. Oh, no. I didn't say, oh, no. Um, I go home and uh, sure enough, the guy who did all the measurements, he's like, yeah, Emily told me that you wanted an edge here, but then... Kemi told me that you wanted it cut. So we cut it and I was like, oh no, oh no. And so I'm standing in the middle of our kitchen that you guys, I mean, it looks beautiful and it is beautiful, right? Like mailmen's, I sent them pictures, the Morton's, they saw pictures. It looks so awesome. And yet I'm standing in the middle of this beautiful kitchen with the, just the biggest pit in my stomach. And really quickly, I thought to myself, you know what, actually the money I'm not too worried about. Like if we can't figure this out and we have to buy a, a thousand, uh, like a thousand dollar, another slab, whatever, 
it's not a big deal in the really grand scheme of things. But Emily had asked me to stay home and let um, her parents take the kids. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. And that's what I was most like nervous about and worried about because I just didn't listen to her. Right. And so, Yes, and Emily's not here, but not because of that. So let's just be clear. There have been times where she has not been here because of marital conflict. This is not one of them. She had a previous engagement. Um, but just a wreck. I'm standing in the middle of this beautiful kitchen, but crushed, just crushed. Oh, and so is life, I would say. We are looking at the death and resurrection of Jesus this morning. And um, we're going to be looking at the Matthew version. There's four versions to choose from. And so for whatever reason, I chose Matthew. So let's jump into it. Um, last week, I believe it was Charlie, I wasn't here, spoke on the, the washing of the disciples' feet during the Last Supper. For context, we're going to skip some things after supper. Um, they go to the garden. Jesus and the disciples pray. Well, Jesus prays the disciples, the disciples, uh, fall asleep, some of them. And then Judas comes with some authorities. They arrest Jesus. They goes through these kind of trials. Uh, they find him guilty. They decide to crucify him. And that's where we are going to pick up the story right before he dies. So let's look at Matthew 27 is where we're at. We're going to start at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's just, I want to pause here really quick because that, that uh, verse, the, the, quote that that Jesus says is from a psalm it's from psalm 22 and it's the first verse of psalm 22 and i just want to look at that verse a little bit really quick because i want us to see kind of a bigger context of what Jesus is is saying at this time Jesus in his full humanity is is really crying out to God the Father in this moment and feeling this sense of, of abandonment. And, and yet there's something more happening in him quoting this passage. The, the Jewish leaders, the other uh, Jewish people who were there would have known this was from Psalm 22. It's this messianic passage and by quoting it, Jesus is, and especially by quoting the very beginning, he's really bringing illusion and light to the rest of the passage. And so those who would have known well would have known what else comes after that passage. And there's a couple other things. One, he's, he's really drawing direct attention, verses 16 through 18, uh, to his actual death. He said, where it says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So there's these clear references to his death, but there's also this hope and faith he displays and this, this even 
allusion to himself as Lord. And so at the very end of the psalm, it says, all of the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Jesus is is drawing attention not only to his humanity as he dies on the cross, crying out to his father and that sense of abandonment and the sense of abandonment of his close friends, the men actually, not the women, the women were there, shout out. Um, But also he's alluding to the fact that he is the Messiah and that one day all knees will bow to him and that all people will proclaim he has done it. And so on the cross, uh, Jesus cries out in his humanity, but also in slighting reference to his divinity as well. Let's keep reading in Matthew verse 47. When some of those standing there heard this, they said to him, or they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I want to pause here, even repeating this last verse. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus was fully human. He experienced the two things that every human experiences, both birth and death. We probably have the tendency to uh, lean one way or the other and maybe thinking more of Jesus in his humanity or maybe thinking more of Jesus in his divinity. I know I tend to think of him in his divine nature far more than I do in his humanity. So I find myself like leaning in towards the human aspects of Jesus to try and like really grasp the fact that our Lord was fully human. And to me, it's what makes his Passion Week so powerful is he really doesn't do any miracles. He heal, it's kind of this private miracle where he, he heals the, the man's ear that Peter cuts off. But other than that, no kind of planned miracles. The, the beauty of his final week is that he's a suffering servant fulfilling the mission that his father sent him to do. Let's continue. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. 
at the moment Jesus died, multiple things happen. There's an earthquake, the temple curtain tears in two, rocks split open, some saints uh, are resurrected, but for some reason, we're not, we're not even getting into this, but some saints were resurrected, but apparently they like chilled for like three days until Jesus was resurrected to then like appear to everyone. It's, it's, I just want to acknowledge like that, but we're not going to go into it because we don't need to. There's other things to worry about here. And specifically the things I want to focus on are two very important things that happened. One was the earthquake. So, uh, or sorry, the earthquake happens. There's two things. One is the temple curtain, super important. This curtain that tore was most likely the curtain from the holy place into the most holy place. And this is a curtain that separated this place where God dwelled, the most holy place, for the people of Israel, that God dwelled in the most holy place. And only a high priest once a year was even allowed to go into that place. And so it's the most intimate, most uh, holy place for the nation of Israel. And by this curtain tearing, it's opening up this space for all people, for all the saints to, to come through Jesus now, through this new intermediary, to come to the Father. We no longer have to go through anyone else to have access to the Father, but now through Jesus, who is the high priest, capital H, capital P, we have access to God the Father. The other thing that happened is these tombs were opened. In Ezekiel 37, Yahweh declares, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. This other clear sign that a new age is dawned is the resurrection of some saints. Not all, some. I don't know how they were chosen or what, what uh, necessarily their purpose was, but it's the, it's the foretaste of what's coming in the future. And then at the end of this passage... The centurion does what we hope all of us would do in this moment. And he declares, surely he was the son of God. So we've just like, actually, let's look, let's actually just keep going. Chapter 28. We're going to skip some stuff and get right to the resurrection. Chapter 28, verses one through four. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Okay. There's two things that happen again here. The second earthquake occurs. So there's like this hearkening back to uh, when Jesus died. So three days have gone by. So we just skipped some stuff. Um, but there's a first earthquake when Jesus dies. Now there's this other earthquake. Also when Jesus dies, stones are opened up. At this point, a stone's rolled away. Uh, the guards are terrified. Uh, but the angel doesn't worry about the guards. The angel addresses the women who are there. 
And he says to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. This angel, like, he makes the most important statement in the history of the world. The angel says, I love it. I put an exclamation point by it in my Bible. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Jesus is risen. Here we have Jesus' divinity on full display. He is not here. He is raised from the dead. Come and see. Go and tell the commission before the great commission. Let's read these last couple verses. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. But Jesus isn't just divine. He isn't just transcendent. He is also near. And he meets these women on the way and he greets them. And what I love about this greeting is that these women don't actually need to see Jesus to be obedient. They don't need to see the risen Jesus. They're obedient without him being there. They're on their way to tell the disciples what the angel has said. They've seen an empty tomb and they just go and they obey. But nevertheless, Jesus stops them. He tells them, don't be afraid. Then he reiterates the call to go tell the disciples. Um, man, there's so much more we could look at. There's stuff we skipped. I'm not even going to go to the end. Like this is where we're stopping with the passage because I want to talk it. I want to look through a couple different lens, lenses in how we see the death and resurrection. We've looked at this historical lens. So these, uh, this is history. This is what happened. Uh, this is Matthew's telling of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I want to look through three different lenses. I want to look through uh, a present lens, a future lens, and then a missional lens at the death and resurrection of Jesus. For the present lens, what do I mean by this? I mean, of it, I mean it more kind of metaphorically. If death is the final and most devastating aspect of the brokenness of this world, then this death I'm thinking of represents all of the smaller, kind of less devastating brokenness around us. This has been... This has been an unbelievably challenging year for our church family. Some of it public brokenness on display. Some of it private brokenness. The brokenness that we feel on a daily basis that's crushing us from the outside or breaking through from the inside. We don't have to look far. Maybe we're in great seasons, but certainly hard seasons have, have been around us. 
and hard seasons will come in the future. It's, it's life, it's this death, it's this, this tension we live in regularly. But God, but God, thankfully, the resurrection is also fully realized now as well. I love the way it describes the women in this passage after meeting the angel. It says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. If there's anything you get from this passage, I want you to hold on to that statement. Afraid, yet filled with joy. I feel like that's the perfect description of what it's like to live in this in-between, to live between the ages, the already and the not yet of God's resurrection, of Jesus's resurrection. Afraid yet filled with joy. And I think you can exchange the word afraid for whatever else you might be feeling. Anxious yet filled with joy. Broken yet filled with joy. Tired yet filled with joy. Jesus is alive. We've been given the Holy Spirit amidst the brokenness, amidst the crushing weight of this world. There's still joy. It's why I shared that story. I'm standing in the middle of this beautiful kitchen, crushed, like crushed. It's like beauty, beauty around me. I, there was joy there, but feeling horrible feeling like I'd made a huge mistake, feeling that I'd let my wife down, um, just feeling horrible. I didn't honor my wife. All those feelings like just surrounding me as I'm sitting in this place of joy. And that's probably some of you right now. Like you're sitting here, we're surrounded by the, in this beautiful, the beautifulness of God's creation. We're hearing from the word of God. The Holy Spirit is present but gosh, there's a pit in your stomach because you're freaking son, man. That sucks. Or whatever else is happening in your life, the things that just live with you, that no matter how much joy is happening, there's still that, ah, oh, that brokenness. And Jesus meets us in this too. In the same way he greets the women, he is with us. And we need to hear those words as well as we walk through this life. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Sometimes we hear those words as these like dogmatic, like, Charlie, don't be afraid. Don't be worried about your son. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think it's more like, keep going amidst your afraidness. Keep going amidst your, your fear. Like, Jesus knows that there's, there's, some, there's, there's fear in this. Let's take a few minutes, turn to some people around you, share simple brokenness, like your kitchen isn't the way you want it to be. Feel free if it's someone close to you to share, maybe they probably already know a deeper brokenness if you want, but also just share something joyful, something good something beautiful about God's creation and, and just share those two things and no comments, just live in the tension of those things.
Okay. Let's take a few minutes, gather with some people around you. If some of you are new, we do this pretty much every time. Just take a little pause and some time to, to talk to one another. It allows us to process and allow the word of God to, to work at a more intimate level. All right, guys. Well, I'm sure we could talk a lot longer. Um, when we were talking, I was just talking with Brianne and the Hamiltons. It kind of made me realize something. This is like the bonus. Like, I would put this like after the credits, like the post credit like scene, but it fits now. So I'll just put it in now. So. Um, but one of the things we were talking about is how, like, in our despair, we feel closest to Jesus often. Like, often in, the, like, the deepest brokenness is when we feel um, closest to Jesus. And I don't know what traditions you grew up in or what, like, your history is, but I think the way I've been pastored and probably many of us have been pastored is uh, that if you don't feel close to Jesus during the good times, you're doing something wrong, and it, like, then bad things occur to force you closer to Jesus. And like, let's just like wipe that away for a moment and think about, yes, there's like a reaction to despair that like forces us closer to Jesus or is like meant to force us closer to Jesus. And that's okay. And that's good. A part of his design but I also think there's like a proactive side that all the brokenness of humanity is on Jesus in the cross. And so the proactive aspect is that, of course, of course, when you're broken, you would find yourself close to Jesus or, or you should feel closer to Jesus in the brokenness because that's what Jesus did. That's why he died. And he experienced the fullness of humanity. And so we should in some ways identify and should find ourselves feeling closer to Jesus during those broken times. It shouldn't cause us to feel like guilt that we don't feel the same closeness in the good times. Though I hope we would, right? But I, I just want to kind of get rid of maybe some of that um, baggage that some of us might be carrying. All right, let's look at the future death and resurrection. Um, the, me the next statement I'm going to make is going to be very hard for most of us to really grasp, but we are all going to die. We are all going to die. David is like closer to that. So he probably like really resonates and has been pondering a lot. Um, but other than David, like the rest of us are pretty young. Um, Micah and I are closer to, to David than we'd like to admit, but um, like, <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, David's in great shape. Look at him. He's a great looking man. Like he's in good shape. So he's probably not really worried about it, but like death is coming for all of us. And we don't like think about it very often, but the reality is, is it is, it is coming. I think we, in the back of our mind, we live with that lingering feeling that is coming for us and, and different 
things happen in our lives that, that pull it a little closer. I think in this country where we live in a lot of uh, comfort, we don't feel it as close, but, but certainly there's been times where you've been really sick or your wife's not answering her phone and you're want like she should be. And you like, your mind starts wandering and what's, what's happening or, you know, what, all these different things like let death, like creeps in now and again, more as we get older. But barring the return of Jesus, we are all going to die. But in the same way that many holy people were raised to life at the death of Jesus, all holy people, all the saints, all of us are going to raise to life at the coming of Jesus to live forever with him. This is the truth. This is the future that's coming for us both death and resurrection, unless Jesus comes back before we die, which would be amazing. We'd be fortunate. There's a palpable tension there in the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. He dies fully human, human, knowing he'll rise again, but the anguish and pain were just as real for him. And that tension is alive still as we live in between ages. Death surrounds us. It's coming for us. And yet life is abundant now through the Holy Spirit and his promised down payment of future, resur- future resurrection and life eternal with Jesus Christ, the first fruits of that resurrection. And again, as we live in that tension or as we, ne- as we near the end of our lives or the lives of those that we love around us, Jesus is there again greeting us saying, do not be afraid. This final lens I want to look through is, is the missional lens. And sometimes, at least in, in our theology, kind of the, the theology stream that Missio was born out of and, and we've taught about, there's always a missional stream. There's, all, we always, there's always a missional stream in, in the, the word of God, and that's true. But in this passage especially, it is like right there in front of us. Um, the angel, when the angel sees the women, he says, don't be afraid. Come and see that he's risen. Then go and tell the disciples to go and meet me. Then they go, they meet Jesus. He says, don't be afraid. He doesn't have to say, come and see. He basically is showing them that he's resurrected, right? And then he, send, he sends them, go and tell my brothers uh, to meet me in Galilee. This missional call of the death and resurrection is a call to three things. Don't be afraid, meet Jesus, know him, and then go and tell others about him. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the meeting Jesus part or the telling others about him piece. I think those um, we've probably heard a lot about. Um, I really want to touch on this do not be afraid piece because, again, I don't think this this is again coming from kind of my tradition that I grew up in. And I know a lot of the traditions you've grown up in is probably similar. There's of course, like a fear and trepidation that comes from sharing the gospel, right? Doing the bridge diagram, whatever you might've grown up doing and how you present the good news of Jesus to people. And I think that's totally understandable, but I do think like this statement, do not be afraid is much broader and deeper than just don't be afraid about sharing the gospel, about going and telling people that he is risen. Come and see him. Go follow him. 
I think it has to do more about that kind of idea of the present and future lens of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we were talking about earlier. To me, it's what makes like a street preacher so hard to listen to and kind of rubs me the wrong way is because it, he's kind of standing there telling the truth and some you hopefully sometimes telling if he's a like biblically grounded street preacher, let's assume that. And he's presenting like great, beautiful, good news but it's so devoid of like humanity. And I think that's what we like rubs us the wrong way. Right. Is that there's, there's, we don't know him. He doesn't know us. There was a guy on ASU's campus back when I was there. I forget his name. Gosh, it was Chris was here. He would remember for sure. Um, and he was just horrible. And I remember I would be walking with my like friends and he'd be calling her a whore and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, she's like a, follower of Jesus. Like you don't even know her. Right. And I think when we think of like speaking about the good news of Jesus and that kind of missional angle, what actually makes the gospel so powerful, the good news of Jesus so powerful is actually the present reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the future reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as we share this good news, as we tell our neighbors and our friends and our family, come and see the resurrected Jesus, we can do that in such a way where we are bringing all of ourselves in it, all of the brokenness, all of the joy that comes from knowing Jesus and of having the Holy Spirit. The resurrection is what gives us hope and joy, but it is the death of Jesus that gives us comfort. As we go and tell others about Jesus, would we be people who can do so with humility, acknowledging the death and brokenness that is in us, the death and brokenness that's in our friends, family, neighbors, and point them to the death and resurrection of Jesus as the place where all hope lies. even as we leave here, and this isn't the, like our benediction, but like a, a pre-benediction, would we be people who walk afraid yet full of joy? We take communion weekly to be reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a way to acknowledge this historical death and resurrection amidst the present and future death and resurrection and then sending us out to live the missional death and resurrection of Jesus. We're gonna take communion here in a moment. So I don't know who's, who's giving communion out, but um, <clears throat> before Jesus was betrayed, before this, death and resurrection occurred. Jesus gathered with his disciples uh, and they had a meal together and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they ate, he took a cup and he had gave thanks and he gave it to them 
and he said, drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. This is something I want us all to say together that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again.